For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. morning, Bodhisattvas. Maybe it's morning for everyone in our group today. I'm not sure. Um, every place. <laughs> every place is a zendo, a place of practice where no one and no thing exists without the support and deep interconnectedness with everyone and everything else. Uh, So our practice, our life actually is nothing other than this, than realizing uh, this deep truth of wholeness um, in each moment. Anastasia says, can we see the others in the room somehow? Yeah. Thanks, Anastasia. Anastasia, I think that's how to pronounce it. Yes, well, I can't hear you back here. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll, I'll project a little bit more. Sorry, Tygen. Or feel free to bring a chair up if you'd like. <laughs> um, so some of you may have heard they've heard uh, that I've recently been practicing with the Diamond Sutra. So what I just said kind of emerges from that uh, practice with this foundational text in our tradition of Mahayana Buddhism. Uh, This Diamond Sutra that offers uh, a way to wondrous wisdom WW Prajna Paramita PP uh, and the diamond is a wisdom training program so you know some people train for triathlons some people train for the liberation of all beings Tegan can you hear me okay now okay thank you um So let's say one way to look at some of the teaching in the Diamond Sutra is it invites us to meet duality and divisions and leap beyond this separation. We leap into non-duality and engage. Then we reemerge, kind of we leap out of that leaping and we leap into the, the world of being here at Ebenezer or there in the cloud listening to the sounds of cicadas here of dealing with I wonder if that's a lonely cicada I wonder what those cicadas are up to I wonder what we are up to Um, so so we are in this world Uh, and when we go back after like coursing in this samadhi of non-duality, we relate to the apparent dualities in our world, the du- apparent differences. You know, we all can think of them. How we divide up experience in a different way with this kind of base awareness of our natural, natural wholeness. You know, when we're, we're challenged to practice this now as we have, you know, we're making a whole practice body of ancient dragons in the cloud and on the ground. And so this is, this is our work uh, very proximally or very close to us now. Uh, indeed. Um, so this Prajna Paramita, this wonderful wisdom, is relational, it's experiential, and it's embodied. 
So wherever you are, you are probably in a body uh, experiencing the world. If you're not, you're welcome here too. Then you have your own body (laughs) that might not appear as a body that would. We think of as bodies, but we don't need to worry about that. But for our purposes, you know, this Prajnaparamita is, is embodied in our zazen practice. That's one way of our sitting upright, opening, gathering our breath, gathering our bodies, gathering our hearts and minds, and then leaping in stillness. So we're still, but I don't know. Any leaping goes on on your cushion when you're sitting zazen? It might. Your mind might be leaping. Your heart might be leaping. Your body might want to be leaping off the cushion. But still, we're still. And then we dive deep. You know, we leap and dive into this spacious awareness beyond dualities through just taking care of whatever comes up inside and outside, if we're lucky. And then we get up from Zazen and we return to everyday life. Hopefully, just a little more able to affirm the dignity of everybody and everything that we encounter. Hopefully. Uh, but if we can't, don't be hard on yourself. Um, so our zazen, our sitting meditation, is an anti-objectification program or project. Uh, so instead of making something this object out there, we see our relatedness somehow. My hands just moved to the heart. Uh, and care for each thought, each sensation. feeling, whether we think we want those things or not, with kindness and openness, with connectedness. So this is our Zazen Prajnaparamita. But today, I would like to open up just this practice of wisdom, supreme wisdom, non-dual wisdom that manifests in a simple activity that we do all the time in Zen. And that activity is called bowing. How many times we do this in the Zendo? Right now, you know, since we're we're in this sendo space in the cloud and in, in Ebenezer, we're figuring out how to do this. Like, you know, now we've got like a little signal that when we enter the threshold of our practice place at the first pillar, we learn to bow there. Now, technically speaking, all you bowing fanatics probably know that, you know, we have this, this kind of standing bow called gasho palms joined, bow at the waist. Then we have these prostrations where we actually, you know, touch five points of the body to the floor. Our forehead touches the floor, our forearms, elbows, our knees. That's prostrations. But I'm just going to, this is all inclusive bowing. And as I'll kind of talk about a little later, bowing is also not necessarily done with our hands or on our knees or in this traditional way. But I think that it is something that is kind of wonderful. Like you think, I think about as we are entering a threshold. So every moment of our life is actually entering a threshold um, to the next thing. That is no thing. Um, So the 
this bringing the hands together, already we're expressing Prajnaparamita, this wisdom that includes everything. And we're also aligning the central parts of our bodies. So there's something about this, this thing that happens. You know, there's also something interesting. So in Zen, you know, in Soto Zen in particular, we don't kind of bow crunched up. We kind of have like a little lightness under our armpits and we, we come together, you know, we bring our hands together, uh, kind of not blocking our sight, but kind of around nose level, about a hand's width away from the mouth. And there's something about leaving space here, you know, leaving space under our armpits and, and kind of almost you know, there's a vulnerability to this posture and of, of bringing your body forward uh, that is part of this non-dualism. But we're not like, you know, you can watch how you bow. Maybe sometimes you bow like this, you know, get away from me. But but there's, there's a lot to learn about the body, uh, just like in Zazen. I would say in this this practice, and it's such a portable practice because, you know, a lot of people need props or a cushion, but we don't need very much to bow. Kind of like our breath, it's it's available all the time, pretty much. If we don't have limbs, we still can find a way to bow. Maybe if we're even disembodied, we can find a way to bow. And so I feel that this is a wonderful practice for our Sangha to come together in the cloud and on the ground. When we enter the Zoom Zendo, the host bows with each person. This is meeting each other, um, both virtually and in person here. So my talk today is really just to encourage us to connect as a community through bowing. Uh, a way to harmonize and ritualize our practice body. You know, in this bowing together as a community, we, we summon the wisdom of connection. And we absorb this deep wisdom, prajna, into our bones, the bones of our dragon practice. So when we bow together, you know, dragons ride the clouds, they swim in the vast ocean together, and they prowl and frolic in the land together. So this bowing is also a silent communication, which is still that little leaping beyond words. Uh, conveying gratitude and humility and affirmation and respect and communion. Imagine if every time we had a difficult conversation with someone, we bowed to them deeply and they bowed to us at the beginning and end, just like we do in Dharma talks. It might be interesting to see, like, Diplomats practice that. Some of them do in some cultures. But also, is that bow, where does that bow arise from? How, what is it communicating? Um, something to consider in our practice. So for me personally, bowing has been a really wonderful and transformative practice. Feels like a mirror of my mind and helps me check my awareness and my spaciousness. Like I know if I'm constricted or anxious, I have a different bowing uh, relationship with others. Uh, many years ago, uh, I learned to bow uh, in a different way, you could say, from my teacher. Uh, and we've communicated through bowing in very many ways, like walking through nature and bowing to a tree or a flower or 
a spider or a spider web. Sometimes it was like, oh, we're bowing to this so that we don't run into that spider web and it injure its food production area. <laughs> um, eating meals together before and after our meals, just bowing, just offering that. Sitting down in zazen, offering incense together, driving around acknowledging deceased animals and what is known as roadkill. So like when you're driving, maybe just that's the bow. Or maybe it's just like a little tiny head nod, you know, but it's an acknowledgement of life and of our connectedness and also of the sadness that suffering that we join with that in bowing. And even that inclination may not look like a deep bow, but when it's touched by prajna, by wisdom, by seeing our connectedness, its depth is incomprehensible. Another uh, place I learned to bow, which is really kind of profound for me, I'm going to just distribute a little card and maybe our techno could share the picture of a little bow I was having with one of my teachers who's also um, a teacher of Taigen, Taigen's main teacher. Um, so you see in this picture two bald-headed people bowing to each other at Green Gulch Farm. I think people can see that now on the screen. Thank you, Techno, for sharing that. There's a little verse underneath which on our physical sheets, which I'll, I'll talk about, but everybody's been able to share or have, have a sheet. Please share. Oh. So um, for a long time, that's myself, if you didn't recognize me with the bald head, the shorter person, uh, bowing with uh, Tenshin Rebbe Anderson. And I feel really great gratitude to Tenshin Roshi, who is a senior Dharma teacher at Green Gulch Farm in San Francisco. And over decades, I would say that he silently taught me through bowing. I would show up at various places where he was offering teaching on the Dharma, whether it's Green Gulch Farm or all over Ohio, Minnesota, a variety of places. Um, not that I was actually stalking him, but it just, <laughs> I live in Chicago and he lives in the Bay Area. So we've said very little to each other. And Reb's teaching and presence is very powerful for me. And it was so powerful that in the early days, I would become anxious. And whenever I'd see him and he would kind of raise his hands to bow, I would like bow quickly and kind of run away, you know, kind of scared of this, this teacher. Um, and slowly over the years, I, it was sort of like, you know, taming a, a rescue animal. You know, you have mm -hmm. to very gently tame them. I felt Reb was kind of taming me, you know, by, with his gentleness. And eventually, you know, we could actually meet each other, see each other's eyes just briefly, and then bow together. So we would wait. We'd stop. We'd put down whatever we were holding in our hands, and we would just wait and meet. And then together. You know, I'm a slow learner and had my own dharmic insecurity. So maybe it took me 20 years to learn to do that with Tenshin Roshi. Um, but I really appreciated what was entailed in that practice together. 
and it was completely in silence. We never even talked about it. <laughs> uh, but there was something about learning to stop, meet, accord our bodies together that is a kind of gestural transmission of our family style in our practice. We're not Japanese people. We're not Chinese people. We're not Indian people. For the most part, we're modern Americans. Uh, for the most part here, or some permutation of that. And finding how the Dharma manifests itself in this time and place, still in this gestural communication, we connect with this whole ancestral line and bring it to the present moment in our own way. Um, our own way. So we can read instructions and watch videos or look at how other people bow, but we make it our own in our time and place from our own hearts. But this is also a gestural communication of the paramitas, of generosity, you know, patience, precepts, energy. Take some energy to stop your body and meet whatever you encounter with this heart and mind. It's concentration or samadhi, and it's prajna, which is great teaching of emptiness, conveyed just through this meeting. So try it out. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I encourage you to try it out in every moment of your life to have this practice seep into your body bones and hearts and minds and then at some point you're able to offer your whole being to whatever you experience and even if you aren't in this visual position your whole heart and mind is in that posture you know in yoga they call it asana right but this is a bodily attitude deportment um and I think that's wonderful because we are American and we don't have uh, a tradition of bowing upon greeting uh, that's common to our culture on an everyday basis, like it is in some Asian cultures. We have a freshness that we can bring to it. So this is a form of our leaping. So in a, in a couple minutes, what I'd like us to do, if possible, is to also leap into a new kind of ex Dharma experiment. And this is that, I'm going to say a little more, but then we're going to break up into some small groups to chat with each other, and we're going to have breakout groups online. So maybe this is a first at Ancient Dragon during a Dharma talk. Is that true? So, uh, so we're going to bow to this new uh, form. And so there'll be, uh, our techno will handle things for online people, and then I'll help us in this room kind of break off into little groups. It will not be recorded, and if you don't choose to participate, people online can basically sign off for 10 minutes once this starts, and people in the room will talk about how to wiggle out of meeting each other if we're not up for that kind of conversation, um, which is totally fine, by the way. Otherwise, we'll wiggle into it. Um, but before we do this, I just want to offer another uh, teaching that has been uh, offered to me. I think by, I remember receiving this from Taigen a long time ago and from other Zen teachers. And those of you who have little, little pieces of paper in the room, I uh, have this verse on it, but I don't have it for the people online. So this is a, a traditional Zen bowing verse, 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 <laughs> verse that sometimes recited um, when offering incense or bowing to Buddha. But I think it's kind of a cool thing to have in mind just in general. And this is a verse that gathers the body and mind into prajna paramita. 
It brings forth this emptiness or non-duality in bowing. And it goes like this, depending on the translation. Translation that I'm first going to offer is uh, based on one from a Dharma friend of mine, Tokyo Henkel, and Dharma uncle. And it goes like this, bower and bow to are naturally, naturally empty and still. The bodies of self and other are essentially non-dual. I vow with all living beings to realize liberation, awakening unsurpassed mind and returning to ultimate truth. And in parentheses, let's say ultimate truth is, that would be something to talk about in your group, what is ultimate truth? But let's in shorthand just say, we're all in this together. <laughs> um, this naturally empty and still, essentially non-dual, realizing liberation, awakening and returning. So sometimes I don't even say that whole thing when I bow, I just kind of you know, realize together with all beings, awakening with all beings, returning with all beings. Um, there are several different ways to parse that, but this is what I'm offering in terms of this translation. I was surprised to find that Thich Nhat Hanh, some of you are familiar with this wonderful teacher who passed away this year, I believe, um, really amazing communicator of Buddhism and an amazing proponent of peace in the world. His community also recites something like this, and although he is not as far as I know, he's Vietnamese Zen, not a Soto Zen, Japanese Zen. But still, this verse is something their community also seems to recite. And it says, it goes this way. The one who bows and the one who is bowed to are both by nature empty. Therefore, the communication between us is inexpressibly, inexpressibly perfect. That's a very nice last line, I think. The communication between us is perfect. So this gesture of bowing is naturally empty and is a perfect communication. This bowing itself then becomes kind of a paramita, a transcendent practice. So we have this transcendent communication that goes beyond the grasp of conventional thinking and liberates the world, frees us to be naturally caring and affirming. You know, it's, it's a way in this bowing practice of saying, I see you. I affirm you. And I offer safety. You know, there's protection and intimacy in the Dharma. And we can't force it. So hopefully this naturally arises so that in our bowing, we realize our communality, our communion of always being in this dynamic relationship. So I'll offer this first again, and then we'll do breakout. Bower and bow to are naturally empty and still. The bodies of self and other are essentially non-dual. I vow with all living beings to realize liberation, awakening unsurpassed mind and returning, returning to ultimate truth. So, welcome back.
bodhisattvas. <laughs> I think we lost some people in the <laughs> in the situation, or some people maybe are doing other things. But everybody in our Ebenezer Zendo seemed to have stayed in the room uh, for this little discussion. And I, you know, want to thank you for that. And maybe you'll be able to share some of your reflections during our question and answer period, which will happen very soon. But before we get to that piece of things, I did want to share uh, just an experience I had last night. So after I, you know, yesterday afternoon, after I finished my Dharma talk, I did some chores. And then I thought, oh, you know, I want to just read a little more Dharma. And I was looking at Lion's Roar online, and I came across uh, a notice that a well-known female Buddhist scholar, Paula Arai, Tiger knows Paula probably well, um, is going to join the faculty at the Institute of Buddhist Studies in an endowed chair, the first endowed chair they have for a professor of women and Buddhist studies. So, Zen is inching along <laughs> in including women as, uh, as great teachers. So, you know, in our time and space, the voices of women and the practices of Buddhist women are becoming more visible. And Dr. Arai's work is a really beautiful and wise contribution to the evolution of the Buddha Dharma, this evolution that we're, we're leaping towards inclusivity. Um, and so I was like, oh, yeah. And then I remembered that she wrote an essay on bowing to the Dharma. I think it's entitled Bowing to the Dharma, Japanese uh, Buddhist Women as Leaders and Healers. And she writes about bowing as ritual. And so I just want to share a quote, which you'll see really made me feel uh, love, <laughs> a connection with her work. Uh, and it says this, so she says, bowing inscripts individual and communal identity in scripts. So we write it, we write a sutra in our bodies. And orients humans to their landscapes and expectations. Engaging in a ritual changes consciousness. The power of ritualized actions is not in their ability to communicate conscious knowledge so much as to frame experience in a way that it can be apprehended meaningfully. They work these rituals through the senses to cultivate wisdom in the bones. <laughs> Shamanic bones, as Earthland Emmanuel Zenju says uh, in Zen. Ritualized acts can transform experience by dissolving obstacles of time, distance, and structural power. They can help one feel more connected to those far away in the past and in places one has never been, like maybe for some of, of us in the cloud. Um, they can These rituals, bowing, can help us feel connected to those who are far away, unimpeded by unenlightened activities. Rituals can affirm one's sense of worth to oneself and the world. So we bow to ourselves too. Uh, so when we enter this Ebenezer Zendo, you know, we move past the first pillar into this long room, take a few steps in, and we offer a bow to Buddha, to the room, to the universe, to ourselves. Um, when we enter the cloud zendo, we offer this bow together with the host to the universe and to our sangha body. 
And this is seamless, silent realization of liberation, awakening, unsurpassed mind, and returning to ultimate truth, as the verse says, realizing this prajna in our bones. So we dragon sattvas, in our humble bowing practices, are ritualizing inclusiveness, ritualizing liberation, and ritualizing nonviolence. This is my hope. And so our rituals, our zendo forms, can sometimes feel a little awkward or clumsy. Um, But all of this, all these gestures and use of our bodies and our ceremonies support awareness and consciousness that goes beyond duality. And so in our bowing rituals, we can harmonize as a community with each other, with every being across time and place, beyond our imagination, beyond conventional appearances. So at its core, this practice, I hope, you know, is medicine for the world, benefits our troubled world. And if we act from a bow, a bow, and a bow, a vow and a bow, steeped in this prajna paramita, this wisdom that goes beyond, we just might be able to contribute to healing in our wounded world if we don't hold on to it, but we just let it go. Um, so it's probably a good time for us to move to Q&A. Does that sound okay with people? Enough about me. How about you? And uh, I'd love to hear any reflections you have uh, on bowing, on the paramita of diving into non-duality in your bows. And I want to thank the techno and everyone else for supporting this, this experiment in Dharma. So thank you all very much. And please... Uh, you know, offer questions, online folks, offer up through raising your hand or unmuting yourselves and Dharma friends. Um, is there another laptop here someplace? Yeah. I didn't know if people wanted to, uh, just it would be nice if people in the room who ask questions could, could see uh, the Sangha a little bit, if that's workable. Um, the Maha Sangha in the cloud, and the cloud can see our Sangha. So we can, you know, you're welcome to come up or just kind of view. Thank you, um, Ruben, for helping with this. So please bring forth your Dharma Bodhisattvas. Or share anything that came up in your discussions. Hi, Dylan. That was a very moving talking, and I love the discussion of it, so I thank you very much for bringing that in. Um, can everybody hear me online okay? So, can you hear me online? You're welcome yes. to unmask if okay. that helps you okay. for the discussion. part that is uh, uh, sticking with me the fastest is uh, the, when you spoke about bowing is bowing to yourself because um, I've never really thought about it like that and I think I tend to want to be helping other people you know, trying to be a good team player uh, making a difference all that stuff Just that phrase reminds me of like how, you know, like I think how much I think my Zen practice like 
maybe because that's accentuated my, my desire to help other people that's revealing to me now because of that line that um, it's probably a good time to me to have a deeper practice of bowing to myself um, and uh, showing myself some uh, love. Um, that that's that that's uh, worthwhile and like uh, important practice. Um, so I had I had really uh, put that together. Um, so that's that I think I would be carrying that or be working on. So appreciate that. Thank you so much for sharing that, that vulnerable place. So we notice our habits and patterns. And this is where the diamond cutter comes in with this wisdom and offers us a fresh perspective. So then you bow to yourself. Remember, um, the bodies of self and other are essentially non-dual. <laughs> so, so if we're forgetting, if we're like, I just want to help, but we can forget to help ourselves. Where we see ourselves as separate from others, that's a different kind of energy. So this frees up energy to, to, to engage in this. Some people, of course, are like always bowing to themselves and forget to bow to other people. That's another side of the coin here. So thank you so much for sharing that deep practice, bowing to all the parts of ourselves. Love. Um, Eve and Brian both have questions. So, Eve, do you want to help Brian go first? Okay, Brian, please. Thank you. I I, um, I loved uh, I love bowing, and I love your talk, and I feel very much in tune with it. I, well, my question is really. Um, about people that I've come across who attend a, a Zen uh, gathering, friends of mine even, and, and newcomers, uh, others, who, for whom it's a very uncomfortable experience. And um, sometimes it's because they grew up in a, like a Roman Catholic church and they became an alienated from that or, or a highly Protestant church where that, where that sort of thing, you don't, you don't bow, you don't, you don't have statues, you don't have things like that. And, or, or even more strongly, um, maybe they grew up with some form of domination in their life and, and they had to be submissive and, and, uh, or, or even abuse. Um, and, and, for them, it's 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 hard not only to bow but to be in a room full of bowing people. So, what what's how how do you respond? I'm sure you've talked to people like that. How do you respond? So thank you so much for bringing this up. You know, whenever I speak about bowing, I think about this because, uh, and this is why I say it is. You can get rid of the word bowing, but how about recognizing dignity or offering safety and connection. And some people don't want connection, right? So, you know, our practice, the question you're, you're bringing forward has no single answer and is one that we will evolve. I think of it like trauma-sensitive zazen or sensitive practice in sangha. For some people, facing a wall is traumatizing. Um, so, so where do we have space for everyone? And for some people, you know, the, the physical bowing thing is not, by the way, it, it is not understood as submission, but as connection and an offering of safe connection, but it doesn't have to take this form that may have been oppressive to people. It can be a nod or a smile or a meeting. Yet, even a meeting, like I said, you know, Kenshin Roshi so generously stopping and bowing to me on a path freaked me out. You know, probably like brought up some kind of trauma of my own sense of unworthiness or something like that. So, so still, 
uh, it wasn't like he was forcing some kind of vow on me. So this isn't a coercive practice, but an open one. And then we sense, like, you know, like Tenshin Roshi run after me and say, hey, Lori, why don't you uh, stand and bow and wait for me? You don't just run off. That was rude. He never said that. He just accepted that. Now, he didn't say, is there something I'm doing that might be frightening for you? So maybe that's what we'll do if we see fear or um, or some kind of discomfort. And hopefully we create a community and we have a community where people can, can say things and, and, and offer their discomfort and we adjust to that. You know, but we still want to meet each other. And whether it's just a slight inclination towards someone, kind of tentative, this is still the practice. So yeah, we can get rid of the word bow. We can say meet and greet. Uh, we can say uh, communicate, converse silently. But this is, Brian, a very good, good, excellent, most excellent point. And I, I thank you for sharing it. And I, I think it, it then brings us into our awareness as practitioners together. But this is how we bring it forth. And it looked to me like Tygen wanted to offer something, and I just wanted to check in with you. So please. Uh, just briefly following up on what you just said. Okay. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, Brian, I. Uh, excuse me, but, um, yeah, I, I think you know all of these forms are expressions of zazen in a way. You know the way we put our hands together, fingertips and nose height, and all, all of these forms that we learn. But also, uh, we need to be not um, restrictive. So to, to be welcoming to everyone and people who you know, don't feel. I, I've noticed some people on Zoom. Do, do bow and some don't, and so to welcome people where they're at, and if they if you don't want to bow, okay, but uh, you might come to appreciate the way that that informs our practice. So just to be open to people joining us uh, in whatever situation they can. So no, add that to what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me, um, when I, I've seen talks with the Dalai Lama, like during his teachings, people are running around serving food and tea and doing all sorts of things, you know, relaxing into the situation. So, you know, I think our practice form or these, you know, this kind of thing called what we call bowing, you know, uh, those are names, but, but we find a way that harmonizes our situation and also honors the diversity in it. And so this is these kind of questions that Brian brings up where this kind of bowing, you know, like when you bow to the Zendo, you're bowing to yourself. You know, these kinds of, this is our exploration together of opening up Buddha's way to our time and place and our situation. and. If we do that with each other, that, dare I say, it kind of like leaks out into the world, that kind of openness, in ways we can't imagine. And um, this, this, is, this is wonderful that we can bring forth these experiences and think, oh yeah, okay. You know, in uh, Zen places, they sometimes use this stick. <laughs> When people are sitting in the zendo during the retreats and they're not like sitting up straight or they're sleeping, you know, nobody's ever fallen asleep during zazen except me. Um, but but you know, so they have these sticks much bigger than this and they pop pop you on the shoulders and people's like, oh, that feels really good and you have to kind of kind of consent to it. But in, at least in America, but they retired that stick at Greenville Farm because it was traumatizing people and hurtful. And so so refining what we do uh, to include more and more people is is so key to our practice. Being flexible. 
just like these breakout rooms, which seem a little awkward now. If we do them 10 times, they might seem fun. If we do them 10 times, you might be like, we don't want to do it. It's too awkward or something. So, thank you. Um, Eve. On, okay. <laughs> there's a camera there. There's a video there, and there's like a microphone. Oh, there yeah. I am. Holy. Yeah. So, you know, when you were talking about ritual, so as an anthropology student, yeah. I spent years, <laughs> years listening to lectures about ritual yeah. and reading about ritual and the things that you said Paula was saying. But um, I, I, when I was in my 20s and I, I started, I did a lot um, different forms of um, uh, uh, classical dance. I did um, Javanese and Thai um, and Bharatanatya. And one of the reasons I did that and I was drawn to the Asian dance forms was because of ritual. Because frankly, I guess I wanted to do more than just listen to lectures about it. And, and I found, you know, dancing with people would be very powerful. And you know, I learned a lot. And I think, you know, when you're talking about bowing and, and, we, and the dance, a lot of it, um, those traditions do involve like more stylistic forms. Yeah. Um, this is the why and like the Thai people, you mm -hmm. know, people will why to each other informally, but then when you dance, um, you know, you get like fancier <laughs> and you put your fingers like a flower. Um, and then, like the lotus. Yeah. Yeah. And then you do like mind and art. Um, and one of the things I liked is that they said before we danced, we should bow our head and hold our hands in the Y and think about the teachers. Think about mm -hmm. the, you know, just like the Buddhist teaching lineages, the whole line of teachers that pass the dance, you know, down to you. But, um, but for me, that whole thing about, um, and you know, when, when you put your body in the position that you're taught, I mean, on the one hand, it's your body. It doesn't look the same as anybody else's body. You're like, I'm not going to look the same when I'm bowing if somebody is six foot five. But, um, but at the same time, you're, you're echoing generations and you're part of a and you're physically part of a lineage. And that to me, you know, is a very powerful thing. Um, and that, I mean, yeah, you can read it as submission when you, you know, incline your spine or avert your gaze, but, um, but it's also acknowledging that you're part of something bigger. Yeah, thank you. I think there's, you know, you're speaking of sort of traditional dance in, in like South Asian or, or in Southeast, yeah. Southeast, yeah. But, you know, I, I know that Tibetans have a dance tradition and probably other Buddhist traditions have that. And, but this is our dancing, mm -hmm. our way, our yeah. zazen, our bowing, our chanting. Yeah, and it links your body to other ones. Thank you very much, Chief. So it's getting close to time for us to move to our service portion, but does anyone else have something you would like to offer at this point in time? Please do so. Nathan. Hi. I was in a breakout room with Brian, and I mentioned um, that the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition has a recording of the, the Touching the Earth chant that you quoted. And I was wondering if you would like me to um, play that, just just the part that you quoted. Please. All right. I have to turn my video off to do that. The one who bows and the one who is bowed to 
are both by nature empty. Therefore the communication between them is inexpressibly perfect. Our practice center is the knot of Indra, reflecting all Buddhas everywhere. And my own person reflects in all Buddhas, to whom with my whole life I go for Thank you, Nathan. So this is, do you, do you have anything else you'd like to offer on this, Nathan? Bodhisattva? Thank you. Um, so, so this is interesting, right? So this kind of beautiful melodic sound and music finds out, you know, that Thich Nhat Hanh's genius is, I think this is accessible for many people this kind of form, I'm barely chanting, almost singing. So thank you for sharing that with us, Nathan. So this might be time for us to end this portion because we're running on and on. And uh, thank you very much for your deep practice and exploration, and may it continue. Uh, of how we communicate perfectly with each other in the world, how we bow to each other in the world as Buddha. Um, before we chant the Bodhisattva vows, I would just like to um, mention that we are sitting here in the Ebenezer Zendo uh, in Chicago on this rich Midwestern land. And I would like to acknowledge that we're located, you know, on the ancestral lands of indigenous peoples of the Three Fires Confederacy and many others. And um, may our practice benefit these generous indigenous people who have suffered greatly in the past, present, and future. May our practice benefit them. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it.